Luke, but uh, we're going to camp out there together today again in Luke chapter 15 and look at a different part of this story. If you have uh, a YouVersion Bible app, you can open that up, uh, click on more and then events, and you can actually follow along with all the scripture uh, in there uh, right now as well to follow along with us. And so as you're turning there and getting ready uh, to get there, as we get ready to jump in this message, we've got a couple of quick announcements for us really quick. Uh, tonight at 6 o'clock, we have something called State of the Church uh, together here uh, at the Ridge. And so this is an opportunity for you to come and, and hear a little bit about how God has uh, just worked through you and in you and here at the church and in the community uh, together uh, this past year, as well as what we're excited about praying for and hoping for this coming year. And so it's going to be a, a just a, a short time together for us to be able to do that. And so if you're interested in those things or uh, you want to hear about those things, I'd love to invite you out tonight to come out to that. We'll have child care available uh, for you as well. So if that's something that, that you're wondering, we will have that for you. So uh, come out. That'll be at 6 o'clock uh, tonight. And we're really excited about that. One other thing uh, to let you know about is uh, we're starting to gather interest together for uh, to put together a, a women's only small group. And so ladies, if you're interested in being a part of a life group that is a, a women's only life group, we would love for you to, to just, at the very least, take your Connect card today, and on the back of that card, make sure you put your information on there, but just put, hey, I'm interested in that ladies' life group. That's all you got to put. We'll get the information to you as, as it uh, starts to materialize, and we just want to know you're interested in it. This is not you signing up for it or committing to anything just yet. We just want to get that information from you. So if that's something that you're interested in, please go ahead and put that on your Connect card. That way we can get in touch with you in the next couple of weeks to let you know more about that. So what you just saw on the screen was just an artistic uh, rendering, if you will, a version of the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son is just that. It's a story that, or a parable, if you will, that Jesus told to those listening. In fact, Luke 15 verse 1, it says that uh, sinners and tax collectors were all drawing near to Jesus to hear because they were drawn to Jesus. They liked him. They were nothing like Jesus, but they liked Jesus. And the crazy thing is, is Jesus likes them too. And so he was like, come here, I, I want to tell you a story. And what he's doing is he's, he's telling them a story to show them the heart of the Father, the heart of the Father God to say, hey, I want to give you a picture of what God the Father is like. And so he tells them this story, the story of the prodigal. The story of the prodigal is, we'll read it here together in just a moment, but uh, just to sort of uh, summarize it really quick, it's the story of, uh, of a, a young son and an older brother and, and a father, but the young son comes to the father one day and says, Dad, um, I, I, don't really, I don't really want a relationship with you anymore. What I would really like to have is just your stuff. And in fact, Jewish culture, that would have been the equivalent of uh, a son coming to a father and saying, I wish that you were just dead so that I could just get what was coming to me. I wish I could just have my inheritance. But the father, in a, sort of a, a surprising way as Jesus is telling this story, the father agrees and says, okay, I'm going to give you your inheritance. And he gives him his inheritance and gives it to the son. And then it says that the son, he goes off and he spends everything through wild and, and reckless living. And it says that he, he basically finds himself in a place that he never thought that he would be, a place that he never wanted to be. It says he, he finds himself in a place where it says that he basically uh, is, is uh, in a famine, he's starving, and he's, and he's eating uh, or wanting actually to, to eat with pigs, but he's not even getting the food that the pigs would eat. That's how bad things are. He had literally hit rock bottom. We, a lot of us know what that's like. We've been there. Some of us are there. 
This is where the son had found himself. And so I want to read uh, the story again to us in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11, so that we can see uh, the way that Jesus tells this story to those people that are listening. Again, so he can show everyone, this is what God the Father is really like. And it's surprising, it's scandalous in some ways. And maybe even for you as you hear this, maybe you've heard this story before, maybe you've read it before. Uh, again, as we've said every single week over the last several weeks, that, that our hope is, my hope and prayer for you is that you'll see this and you'll experience this differently than you ever have before. And so if you've read this before, I hope that you'll hear it with fresh uh, ears this morning. It says this, Jesus tells the story. He says, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he had squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Let's pray together. Father, we pray, God, in these next few moments that, Lord, that you just speak deeply to our hearts. God, open our our ears, our, our eyes to see, our hearts to feel. Just speak deeply to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at different parts of this story and and talking about these different awakenings that are happening. If you've missed any of it, just go to iTunes and download the podcast or to our website and and catch up on it. But in uh, week one, we talked about this awakening to longing, the the awakening, uh, the the longing for more. The the son, he he, he leaves and he goes off and he's searching for more, much like many of us have done, much like some of us are even doing maybe in the moments where we kind of look at our lives and we say, you know what, I, I, there's got to be more to life. There's got to be more out there. Maybe there's something that I'm not experiencing. And so the son says, you know what, I'm going to go try to figure out what that is. But I'm going to go and I'm going to do it on my own. See, the, And so what we talked about a couple of weeks ago is that, that we all have these longings. You have these longings. I have these longings. The longing for, for believing and wanting to know that there's more to life is not a longing that is inherently evil or sinful in any way because it's a longing that God places within each and every one of us. The problems arise when we try to go and fulfill those longings with things that God said don't fill those longings with. 
When we go and try to say, you know what, success will fulfill that longing for me. Or relationships will fulfill that longing for me. Lust, sex, money, power, addiction. Those are the things that I'm going to try to fulfill that longing with. And that's exactly what the son did. The son goes off and it says that he lives his life recklessly, trying to fulfill that longing for more. And then last week we talked about the awakening to regret and repentance, and, and we looked deeply at the word repentance. We don't use that word a whole lot in our culture. Uh, we use it at church, but we don't you really use it anywhere else necessarily unless you're one of those people who's just like yelling at people at the office, repent, you know, all that kind of thing. Uh, I, I don't recommend that, but, you know, hey, uh, but we don't use that word a whole lot. So the word repent actually, and repentance, it actually uh, comes from two Words one a Greek word one a Hebrew word the Greek word is a word called metanoia and that's the the word that's used most often in the in the New Testament in the Greek and metanoia means to to change direction and the Hebrew word used most often in the Old Testament is a word called shuva and that that word means uh, to return to. And so when you take those things and, and you put them together, you get the, the real meaning mostly in the New Testament that you see. It means uh, the way that we say it here, the way I like to say it is this, is that to repent means to, to change direction and return to. So it means to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. That's what it means to repent. So when we talk about repentance, when, it's, when we talk about we need to repent of things, it means that we're changing direction. We're going to turn from what we've tried to fulfill longings with, what we've tried to chase after to give us something that only God can give us, and we're going to turn from that. We're going to lay it at the feet of Jesus, and we're going to turn to Jesus. We're going to turn away from those things. So today what I'd like to look at is, is another awakening, another part of the story and um, really, what something that I noticed, uh, in fact, it was pointed out to me as I started to, to study this passage a little deeper. Again, I've read this thing a, a million times, and maybe you have too, and maybe you already knew this. You're smarter than me. That's, that's awesome, because um, I'm not very smart. But anyway, like i just never seen this before. Somebody pointed it out to me, and I, I thought it was just fantastic. But um, as sometimes one of the things that, that you have to do when you're reading Scripture is you kind of have to understand uh, context so that you can get content. And, and I, I try to do that as much as possible, but there's a lot of times that I just miss something, and so I like to share those things with you when I, uh, when I find out about it, too. And so this is one of those things that I've missed for many, many, many years. But uh, so sort of some context around this. In Jewish culture, one of the things that would happen when uh, someone would dishonor their family and leave home prematurely, uh, when someone would you know, do like the son did and, and basically look at his dad and say, Dad, I, I just want your stuff. I don't want you. I don't want a relationship with you. Just give me what, you know, is due to me. And he goes off and leaves. One of the things that if he was to return home or if someone was to return home, Jewish culture, uh, they, they would have this thing called uh, kezaza. Kezaza. That's kind of fun to say. Uh, kezaza. But, but what it means, it means the cutting off from. That's what it means. And so what they would do, what a, a Jewish uh, uh, village would do, a town, a, a place, a community would do, is that when someone would, would be trying to return back home after dishonoring their family, dishonoring their father in such a way, just much like the son had done, 
they would enact Kezaza. And so what they would do is that they would go out uh, into the city or outside the city, outside the area, as the person would be trying to come back home. And they would wait for them. And as they were trying to come back home, they would very loudly and demonstratively take clay pots. And they would take these clay pots and they would smash them on the ground. And break them into a million pieces. And they would pick up the pieces. And as the person would be trying to come back into town, they would just be right in their face. Holding up these broken pieces of these clay pots. Screaming at them. This is what you have done to your family. This is what you have done to your community. This is the brokenness and the fracturing that you have caused. You are not welcome here. Kezaza. You're being cut off. You're being cut off. So when I thought about that, when I learned that, and you look at the story of, of the prodigal, there's this part in the story of the prodigal where the son, he, he says to himself, it says, we, we talked about this last week, where he had, he had come to his senses. It's sort of the awakening that, that God began to really just whisper to his heart, much like he's been whispering to some of your hearts this morning and saying, hey, I still love you, but I want you to come back home. I want you to return. I want you to come back home. But there was a part of the son that was like, I, I don't know. Like, like I mean, Kezaza, like I'm going to try to go in there and they're going to cut me off. They're going to allow me to come back home. And so the, the son, he, he, he comes up with this speech. And if you notice in his speech, he says this, that the, he says that the father will not allow me to be his son again. So maybe I can just be one of his hired servants. Because he knows that he's being cut off. He knows that he will not be welcomed back into the family. He knows that he will not be welcomed back into the community. But things have gotten so bad for him. He's like, this is, what, this is the awakening that we're talking about today. The awakening to help. Because what the son does in his uh, made-up speech that he's going to give to his father is he's saying, you know what, I can't do this on my own anymore. I can't fix things. I can't fix what I've messed up. I can't fix what I've broken. I can't fix these relationships. I can't fix this marriage. I can't fix this and fix that. And, and he just decided, you know what, I've screwed everything up and I'm, I've tried to fix it myself by chasing after this and chasing after that and trying to fulfill these things. I can't fix it myself. I need help. And I believe for a lot of us, that's where we're at where we're at right now. Some, some of us are, are here this morning because we've awoken to the fact that, that we can't fix it. We've tried everything to fix it. We tried to fix our marriage ourselves. We tried to fix our kids. We tried to fix our job, career situation, this, that. We've tried to fix all these things. We've tried a million different things to fix it. We went to uh, Amazon and we looked up self-help books and tried to read those things and fit, you know, this book is going to fix it. And none of it has worked. And so God is awakening, awakening you and me, awakening us to, to help, to realize that we can't fix these things on our own. In fact, um, there's actually a, a psychological term for this because I, I believe like a part of the reason that we fall into this place, we fall into this trap of thinking that we're going to try to fix it on our own because I know that I've done that. How many of us have ever said this? I'll do it myself. Yeah. Just a moment of honesty for us right there, right? I know we're in church. We don't do that much. But let's be honest for a minute. Like we like to say, uh, or I've, I've done it a, a million times. I'll do it myself because I think that I can fix it. And most of the time I can't. Even really simple things. But especially when it comes to like big things like relationships and 
parenting things and marriage things and relational things and sin things. I like to think that I'm going to fix it myself, but what I've realized is I've fallen into this trap, much like the trap that, that maybe you've fallen into, and this, it's this psychological term. It's actually a real thing. It's called the illusion of control. <laughs> it's the illusion of control. It's an illusion that we think that we can control things. In fact, this is the, the actual definition of it. The illusion of control is the tendency for people to overestimate their ability to control events. For example, it occurs when someone feels a sense of control over outcomes that they do not influence. Hitting a little too close to home for some of us. Control freaks, right? Like me. I want to control things. I want to, and, and it's, and it's a, an illusion, if anything. Our culture is very, is very um, good at this. In fact, uh, I think the biggest culprit in, in, in this uh, illusion of control, if you will, because our culture wants to tell you that, that you can control everything. In fact, we, we build so much of, of technology uh, around the, what, the, the comfort of control. You have complete control. Control this, control that, control, 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 control. And we eat that stuff up because we're like, yes, <laughs> control, <laughs> right? Like we just want to control it. But not, not even that, but just, I mean, like spend five minutes on Instagram or Facebook today and you, your friends are going to be posting memes and beautiful little sayings that really just paint the picture of the illusion of control, Right? saying that you are the captain of your soul. That sounds beautiful, doesn't it? It's junk. <laughs> what if our friends aren't as smart as we think they are, right? What if Facebook doesn't have it figured out? It's an illusion. It's an illusion. And here's, in fact, I, I believe... I believe that that when it comes to this, I believe that our control really, is, it, it's our effort, it's our effort to make ourselves God. Maybe we've never looked at it that way, but I, I think that, that when it comes to a lot, of, a lot of things, the big things, relational things especially, that, that it's, that it's our, ourselves, our effort trying to make ourselves God, but giving up the illusion of control is rightfully allowing God to be who God is. And so the best way for us to actually be in control is to give up control. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he, he says it this way, and I, I love the way that, that he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He says this. He, 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 he says, but he said to me, meaning that, that God has spoken this to his own soul, and so he's relaying it in this letter. He says, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power, meaning the power of Christ, is made perfect in weakness. Now that flies in the face of everything that we're taught in culture today. Because what we're taught in, control, in, in, in culture today is you can do it. You got this. Dust yourself off, pick yourself up, and take control. Be strong. And Paul says, no, 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 no. His power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10, he says, for the sake of Christ. 
then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so weakness provides God the opportunity for God to show his power. And so I think there comes a, a time and a place in our lives where we have to say, you know what, I don't, I don't have this. I can't fix it. I can't fix me. I can't fix them. I can't fix this. I want to, but I can't. I need help. I need help. And this is the, the awakening that the son experiences. He chased after it. He tried to fulfill these longings through his own way, through his own uh, living and and uh, all these mistakes and choices that he made, it put him in a place that he never wanted to be, a place that he never thought he would be. And maybe some of us are, are in that very same place ourselves. But the son, it says he comes to his senses, that he had come to his senses realizing that I need help. And he'd help. He realizes that he can't do it on his own, that he can't fix himself or his situation. And so, as we talked about last week, he, he repents. He changes direction from his messed up life, from his choices, from his mistakes. And he, he turns to the Father. And again, remember what Jesus is doing here. He is painting a picture of who God the Father is. This is not a real story. This is not a story that, that actually really happened that Jesus is telling. This is a story that, that Jesus is, is making up, if you will. It's a parable. It's a story so that he can paint a picture, a visual picture, if you will, through words of, of what the heart of the Father is and how God the Father calls deeply to us and reminds us that, that we can't do it on our own. That, but the beauty of it is is that he's not going to say to us, now that you realize that you can't do it on your own, do it on your own. Like he's there for us to help us. In fact, this is this is what I love about about this story, is that you'll notice that uh, the father, in the story, it says, "So while he was still a long way off, remember that thing, the the Kezaza thing, right? The father knew." The father knew that that, that was going to happen. The father knew that that's the way that the, the uh, town would, would treat the son on his way back in, that they were going to be there to, to cut him off. But it says that while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and ran to him and met him where he was. And again, it paints a picture of who God the father is, that he runs to us, that he runs to us and he embraces us. But here, here's the thing that, that I want to point out uh, today is that he meets us where we are, that he will meet you and me where we are. And the way that I like to say it is that he'll meet us right in the middle of our mess because the son on his way home, when he's coming back, he, he's still in the middle of his mess. He ain't cleaned anything up. His life ain't put together. He ain't got it all figured out. He's still in the middle of that mess. But yet the father met him where he was. As a, as a parent, if you're a parent, you, you know this too. But our kids, especially when they're little, like, like they make messes, right? 
it, intentionally too. Like we know that, right? Don't let your kids lie to you. They did it on purpose. But they make messes most of the time, mostly intentionally. They, they make messes. It's fun for them. That's great, you know. Fun for them, not so much for us. But they make messes and they get themselves into a mess and, and they do all kinds of things. And, and, and sometimes we just, we find them, right? Like when, especially when they're little, you know, we, like when the house gets quiet, you know, you know what's happening, right? Like they've made a mess somewhere. They know that they're doing something they weren't supposed to be doing. So we find them and we see them and they're, and they're in the middle of, of their mess. And as a father, I've done this with my, my daughter and my son. Like all the time, this has happened to me. I bet it's happened to you too. But when we find them like in the middle of their, in the middle of their mess, like I've never walked in and seen my kids in the mess that they've made. And I've never looked at them and threw them a towel and been like, clean yourself up. Now that, now that they're older, I'll do it. But no, I'm just kidding. But like when they're little and, hear me, helpless, and they've made a mess, as a father, I get down on my knees and I pick them up out of the mess and I help clean them off. But I'm loving them in the middle of the mess. I'm not going to toss him a towel and be like, all right, you clean yourself up. And when you get yourself cleaned up, then we'll talk about whether or not I still love you. I don't wait for them to clean themselves up. I meet them where they are. You meet them where they are. God the Father will meet you where you are. In the middle of your mess. Even if everybody else is, is waiting to, to kezaza, to cut you off to judge you, to throw side-eye at you. You don't want no side-eye, that's bad. But to love you, to embrace you, to put the ring on your finger, to put the robe around your shoulders, to put the the kiss on your cheek, I want to show you a, a video the story of um, a girl who attends here. Some of you know Madison, and uh, we shot this this story uh, video of her uh, a while back. And some of you have seen it. We've shown it once once or twice before. But it's a great uh, it's a great picture. It's a great illustration. A story of of someone who said, "You know what? I'm going to go and try to figure this out on my own. I've had some bad things happen. I've made some mistakes along the way, and so I'm going to go try to figure this thing out on my own." But then to come to her senses to realize I can't do it on my own and how not only the love of the father embraced her in the middle of the mess but but how other people how God used other people to help awaken to help so take a look at this story and then we'll finish up Um, three years ago on March 8th of 2014 my mom suddenly passed away She went to sleep and never woke up. Her death was a big shock, and it hurt. Um, Not only did she leave me behind, but my sister was a month away from her senior prom, um, two months away from her graduation. My brother was a freshman in high school, so not only did I need her, but I had two siblings that needed her a lot, too. Um, So when everybody was kind of going through sadness and hurt and, like, just kind of being in shock, my first reaction was anger. Like, I 
was angry at everybody. Um, I was angry at my mom for leaving me, and my first reaction was I was really angry with God for taking her. Um, for two years, I just was angry at everybody. I was jealous that everyone had their mom, and during their all my friends were getting married, and their moms were there, and my mom wasn't able to be there, so it really hurt. Um, so I just my, affected my work because I was just angry all the time, and of course, I just didn't get along with anybody. My family knew that like, I was angry, and they tried to help me, but it just pushed me away even more. So during this time, um, my mom was best friends with my cousin Lindsay, which was her cousin too, um, and so it hit Lindsay hard too, but Lindsay, you know, was really strong, and she had her church family. So every, almost almost every week, she would text me and say, hey, come to church with me. Um, I'm leading worship. Come come hear me sing or come, come check the church out. And I would always make an excuse not to come or I just wasn't ready for that because I was still so angry. And then um, my mom's two-year death anniversary hit in March 8th. And then my boyfriend of two years broke up with me like a couple days after that. And so I was probably at the lowest point that I'd ever been in my life. And so I said, you know what, I just, I don't know what else to do, like I'll go to church with you. So I came to the Ridge and I sat down um, and I cried from the time that worship starts until the time worship finished, during your uh, Bobby's message, um, during communion, like I cried the entire time and I never cry, ever. So it just really like, I for like first time in two years felt a little bit of peace and a little bit of comfort when I couldn't find it anywhere else. Um, Tara came up to me, of course at the time I didn't know who she was, and said, can I pray with you? And of course I didn't know who that was. I was like, yeah, sure, if you want to. Um, and she prayed like a prayer that was like it was meant for me, even though she had no idea what my story was. And so when I left that day, I said, you know what, I want to come back and see if I have this feeling again. Like that little bit of comfort like really felt good. And I had hope for the first time that I was going to be able to get through it and that I was going to be able to be happy again. Um, thanks to Lindsay and Bobby and uh, Wesley and Tara, like, I have found a family where when my mom died, I felt like I didn't have a family anymore. That was my, I think that's what hurt the worst because I felt like my family was gone. And um, me being 19 at the time, I didn't know what to do. And now I have this incredible family, and I felt more joy and happiness and wholeness since I have joined the Ridge, um, got to know God, have forgiven my mom for passing away, and forgiven God for taking her, and I've been baptized since, and I'm just so much more happy than I've ever been in my entire life. That, that is my story. <laughs>